In the year 2000, Multnomah Books published a little book by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson titled The Prayer of Jabez, Breaking Through to the Blessed Life. The book was a surprise international bestseller, actually made the New York Times bestseller list. It sold about 9 million copies. I'm interested, how many of you read The Prayer of Jabez back in the day? All right, if you haven't read The Prayer of Jabez back in the day, I'm willing to bet that at least five copies will come through at the book sale this summer, and uh, you'll be able to find them. It's a book that just kind of hangs around. You can find it a lot of different places. Interestingly enough, though, when I went to prep this sermon, I couldn't find it. It wasn't in my library. It wasn't in the church library. I went down and peeked around the book sale. I couldn't find it down there. I had to go to Clenmore and borrow one. Anyway, but this is a book that's been around. A lot of people have read it. And the, the book made public what is actually a pretty obscure couple verses in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And so today I want to take a look at this little prayer of this guy named Jabez and, uh, and then talk a little bit about the prayer, but also talk a little bit about the book along the way. Now, first of all, to understand this little prayer of Jabez, you have to understand how weird this passage is in context. If you go read 1 Corinthians this week, bless you for doing that, okay? What you're going to find is the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles is just a bunch of names, okay? It's a bunch of genealogies. It's, it's, it's the generations of Adam er, uh, to Abraham, and then Abraham, uh, he had many sons, then Jacob, then there's all these different tribes, and then it gets into all these particular groups, like, like uh, these are the priests that we had, and these are the musicians, and it's just names, a little bit of detail here and there, but there is no narrative in the whole thing. In, uh, in 1 Chronicles 4, where we are, it's the genealogy of this man named Judah. Now, if you go back and read Judah, what you find is Judah's kind of a scoundrel. Okay, he's the ringleader in selling Joseph into slavery, has this really weird incident related to his uh, daughter-in-law. I mean, he's kind of a bad guy. And when you start reading about his family, what you find is they're also not real good. Okay. And so everybody's got the context here. We've got this not good family. It's kind of right down in the middle of nine chapters of a bunch of names. And then suddenly we get a narrative. Like everybody else gets a name, maybe what they did, where they were from. But all of a sudden we get two verses about this little character. It's all we get about the character. But it is a major interruption in what is otherwise basically a genealogy. Okay. Basically, a list of names. So let me read it again. We actually read it together in our call to worship, but it's so short, I'll just do it again. Okay. In the middle of all these things about Judah and his not very nice family, verse 9 says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this little verse, that's all we get about Jabez. A couple little facts. We get his name. that He's more honorable than his brothers. We get a little prayer by him and that God answered that prayer. Then, if you read along, it just continues. <laughs> then we go back to names. Hey, like, that's it. 
What a strange little couple verses. So let's think this verse through a little bit. We're told, first of all, that Jabez is more honorable than his brothers. We're not necessarily told exactly why, but sort of what's implied here is um, that the prayer is an example of, is sort of why he's more honorable. We're also told that he's named Jabez because his mother bore him in pain. Now, you can't see this in English, but in Hebrew, the word for pain is Jabez. He's just named pain. How would you like to have the name pain? Do you know what you would be teased like at school? Man, you're such a pain. Okay, now we don't know exactly what the story is. I mean, his mother says he bore him in pain. Um, was, was there something wrong with the, the labor? Was there something wrong with the pregnancy? What all happens here? Does something that happened to his mother that she never quite recovers from giving birth to Jabez? We, we don't know the story. But you could imagine the cloud over your head if your name was Payne. Okay, you can imagine the expectation for your life if from the first day you were called a pain. Okay, so, so get that context in your head. He's a pain. Going to be important later. Then with, quick, with that quick background, that's all we get, we are told that Jabez called on the God of Israel. That's actually kind of an important line. That's very specific. He didn't call on a lot of other gods. He called on the God, the God of Israel. And so he calls this, calls to God, um, and, and this idea of, of asking for blessing then. This may seem like vain or self-seeking, but you need to understand that blessing in the Bible isn't the same as being happy. Okay? Blessing in the Bible is God's favor. Also, it has nothing to do with sneezing. That's a weird tradition that comes out of the Middle Ages. Okay, so God's blessing is when God has favor for you. Blessing is when God loves you and chooses to care for you or a situation in a special way. He asks God for blessing. We should also note that Jabez doesn't ask for a particular blessing. Okay, it would be a little different if the prayer was like, the Lord, please bless me with a new car, with a new job, with a... Um, He's kind of ambiguous on the blessing. He just wants God's favor. Then what did he ask? He asked that God would enlarge his border. Okay, this can also be translated as territory, coastline. Saying, let my land be bigger. That's what Jabez is saying. And actually, earlier in 1 Chronicles, chapter 2, verse 55, Jabez is referred to as a place. And so we wonder if actually Jabez is in there. It's the only reference we ever have to this place called Jabez. But we have to remember that in the Old Testament, land wasn't just land. Now think about this in that time period. Your land was your identity. Your land was your heritage. What defined the people of Israel? They were called by God and they were given a promised land. Okay, so land is a lot more than just possessions. Land has something to do with who you are. It has something to do with your identity. And so one of the things that Bruce Wilkinson in the book, The Prayer of Jabez, rightly points out is this sense of give me more territory isn't just give me more stuff. It's give me more responsibility. Give me more influence. Give me more uh, a legacy. Give me more responsibility. In other words, give me, a, give me more stuff I'm responsible for. 
so that I can serve you with that. This is like Jabez saying, you know, give, give us a bigger church. Give us more influence in our community. Give me a higher position in my company so I have more influence for people around me. This is a, a, uh, an interesting prayer for Christians to think about because a lot of times we tend to think of ambition as bad. But ambition is not always bad. Ambition for my own glory, that's problematic, right? If it's vain, if it's all about me, then, then yeah, that's selfish and self-seeking. But, but the idea of wanting responsibility because I want to serve God with as much as I can, I think that has value. Now, let's be honest. Nobody has perfect uh, virtues, right? Our motives are not always clear and clean. And so maybe sometimes we want ambition for ourselves and sometimes we want ambition for God and that's just kind of the line we walk. But I know a lot of Christians that don't try to get much of anything out of life because they don't want it to be selfish. When actually, sometimes God is calling you to more responsibility so that you can do more for God with that. A lot of times Christians play it safe. There's this great communicator and pastor named Francis Chan. Some of you may have done Sunday school curriculums with him and read his stuff. Francis Chan one time did a sermon around the Summer Olympics where he got out a balance beam, like from a, got it from a gymnastics place, and he put it up on the stage. And then he said, imagine if a gymnast came out for the Olympics and then just climbed over the balance beam and hugged it as tight as they could. For about a minute. And then they decided, time to get off. And then they posed as if they had just done something wonderful. <laughs> right? Like, nobody, you don't get gold for hugging, bear hugging the, the balance beam. Okay, to think of us, what we're watching right now, imagine an ice skater just goes out, sits on the ice for three minutes while their song plays, gets up, and then poses, and they're done. You get no reward for hugging the balance beam. And yet many Christians, I think, hug the balance beam. They don't really try a lot in their life. They don't really go for it. They don't really, they're too, sometimes we get so afraid to fall that we don't try. That is not the prayer of Jabez. Jabez says, Lord, let's go. Give me territory. Give me the opportunity. But I think Jabez, if you pay attention to the prayer, also understands the danger of that kind of prayer. Because his next request immediately following is that God's hand would be on him. God's hand would be on him. In the Bible, the, the term the hand of the Lord is God's power and God's presence. You can see it in Joshua 4, Isaiah 59, Acts 11. This, this idea of God's got to be with me. I think Jabez knows, Lord, if I'm going to do something with what you've given me, then I can't handle it on my own. I, I can't handle the territory I got. So if I'm going to get more territory, you are going to have to be with me while I do it. In fact, he then asked God to keep him from harm. I think Jabez understands that, that harm comes from having responsibility. Not everybody likes what you do with the territory. Some people are jealous of the territory that you have. And the more responsibility you have, the, the more you're tempted to use it. The more you're tempted to feel entitled by it. The more you're tempted to, you're scared because you know if you mess up, you mess up for a whole lot of people. So yeah, of course, if you're going to have more territory, you've got to pray to God to be with you and to protect you from harm. Because other people and even yourself, you're going to be your own worst enemy and you're going to create enemies if you're going to live that kind of life. And then Jabez ends his prayer with the request 
that, that it might not bring him pain. Now that seems like an odd request. Because he seems to be asking, when he's asking God for harm, when he's asking not to, not to have him have harm, but we're asking God to be with him, he kind of knows pain's part of it. Don't we all know that pain's coming? If you don't, let me tell you, pain's coming, <laughs> right? This sinful, broken world, you're going to feel pain. Is he saying that he doesn't want to feel any pain? No, remember what his name is. What's his name? His name is pain. So when he prays, he doesn't want to live, to, he doesn't want to feel, to have pain be a part of it. I think what he's actually asking is, don't, don't let me live up to my name. Don't let, me, don't let me be what people expected. Let me be able to rise above the expectations of others. Don't let me amount to nothing. Man, I know a lot of Christians that actually feel this way. That, that, that they're still living to please their parents. Or what a gym teacher told them in high school. Or what somebody who broke up with them said to them when they undercut them. Right? I, I mean, I still know a lot of people that, that, that have these names and these labels that have been put on them. That they're still fighting against in their adult life. And I, and I think part of the prayer of Jabez is, Lord, don't let, me, don't, let me, don't let me fall to those names. And even the stuff I say in my head that I'm not good enough. That maybe I'm a pain. That maybe I'm not, I'm not up for what you have for me, God. Lord, I, I don't want that to be who I'm going to be. Then the text simply says, and God granted the prayer. So much so that we remember he was more honorable than his brothers. Jabez stood out enough for nine chapters of genealogies to be interrupted to give him this two verses of standing out. What a powerful little prayer. And what a powerful book that uh, brought this little prayer to the masses. The only reference I can find to this prayer before the prayer of Jabez was Charles Spurgeon did a sermon on this prayer. Um, But there's really not that much use of this prayer before this little book. And there's been a lot of books, right? Nine million books. But there's also three versions for children. The prayer of Jabez Journal, the prayer of Jabez Devotional, the prayer of Jabez Study Bible, the prayer of Jabez for Women, the prayer of Jabez music, a worship experience. Prayer of the healing of Jabez, another book, kind of a sequel to it. There's the prayer of Jabez, keychains, mugs, backpacks, Christmas ornaments, scented candles, mouse pads. There's even a jewelry line that was for a while of the prayer of Jabez. Okay? Um, so the book is not without its critics. Okay, for one thing, it, it became this big thing that made a lot of money. And it's kind of an interesting uh, um, little case study in money making through that stuff. Uh, made a lot of a uh, lot of Christian bookstores really went with this book. Um, I was talking to somebody who was related um, to uh, to the the book and the Gospel Book and Supply, the bookstore that was right down the road here, and they remember boxes and boxes and boxes of the Prayer of Jabez coming through that store. So the big critique of the book has been to identify with the book as what's called a prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard that term before? Prosperity gospel. So um, the word gospel means good news. Good news. So the question is, what is the good news? Or I might ask it more particularly. What is the news and what's good about it? What is the news and what's good about it? And, and um, 
there, there has been teaching, there's been a lot of discussion about what the actual good news is. Um, we would say Jesus died for our sins, something like that, but, but it, it has lots of elements to it and lots of emphases. So for a while there, it was a very negative gospel, like um, fire and brimstone sort of preaching. Okay, the, the good news is that you're not going to bad news. That's the good news. Okay, um, but what is the good news? And for some people uh, and some preachers that you'll hear, the good news is a prosperity gospel. In other words, God wants you to be prosper, to eat prosperous. He wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. Okay, you'll hear terms like your the good life, your best, your potential. Okay, the problem with some of this teaching uh, is that, it, it, first of all, a lot of times if you hear somebody who's that kind of teacher, you hear them on TV, that kind of thing, there's no cross. There's no cross. And in 1 Corinthians, when Paul's talking about the faith, he says, I wanted to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. And so I pray every Sunday that you hear this from me, that this whole thing points to Christ and Christ crucified and what Christ has done for you. I pray there's never a sermon. If I'm in the Old Testament, if I'm topical, if I'm wherever, I want to lift up Christ and Christ crucified. And if there's no room in a teaching from the gospel for Christ crucified, I've got a problem with it. The, the other piece is, what is the role of suffering? Right? What is the role of suffering? Could you imagine Paul preaching the prosperity gospel? Imagine he's, he's like walking with a limp because he's been beaten with rods or he's been stoned. He was shipwrecked for a couple of days. They chased him out of town. He gets up before the temple and the, the, the synagogue in the next ch- church. And he says, guys, God really wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. Okay, like Paul, you're bleeding on the floor, right? Can you like, how do we make sense of that? So that's the other thing I always want in my preaching to have one of my main goals when I preach is hope. Okay, if it doesn't answer life's problems and if it doesn't get you through a tough week, then we've missed out on some of what I think the gospel is. Fundamentally for me, there's a hope element to this that doesn't ignore suffering, but helps us to find meaning and purpose to get through it. Okay, so, so what do we do with this book by Bruce Wilkinson? Well, well for me, it, it does smell a little bit, the way he talks about it and the way sometimes people treat it, like a prosperity gospel. Like if you pray the prayer of Jabez, then God is really going to bless your life. And I just don't, I don't want to say that it's, the prayer of Jabez is not some magical prayer. To say that is to ignore some of the details in the prayer. And I'm not sure that Bruce Wilkinson does that as much as what people seem to do that with his book. So, but, I, but I, at the same time, I do think God has big things for us. I do think God should, should, should call us to big things. I don't think as a church and as people, we should just hug the balance beam or sit down on the ice and that's it. I think God calls us to big, meaningful things. But I don't get to pick what the things are. And I don't get to think, pick the, the, the pain that goes along with it. I don't get to pick always how I suffer along the way. After all, Jesus prayed what? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Whose kingdom? Thy will be done. Jabez's prayer wasn't about his kingdom. That's an important distinction. I'm not sure everybody who read the book quite got. 
Right? It's not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And God, give me, be with me. So as I do things in this world, as I care for my church, as I care for my community, as I work in my family, that you're glorified in the middle of it. See, that's an honorable prayer. That's an honorable prayer that I think God will respond to. And it comes out of, if you, if you really pray this prayer, it comes out of a heart from somebody who's really following after God's own heart. So my challenge to you is to, to consider the prayer of Jabez. Take this bulletin home, put it somewhere prominent, and uh, think through the elements of it as you pray it a little bit. And uh, see what God does in your life. I don't think it'll be a magic prayer. But I think it is something that could, that could center us in some ways in our lives. Let this be your attitude as you consider this prayer for your own life.